Greg Masters at the Florida Association of ACOs here in Orlando, Florida, wrapping up the second annual August gathering. And I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Hyman Zucker. Hi, Dr. Zucker. Hello. So you uh, have been rather uh, active uh, over the last two days, being a rather expert witness, if you will, on the state of, uh, shall we say, managed competition or accountable care, per se. Tell us a little bit about you and then your history uh, in managed health care and more recently, value-based or accountable care. So, so, you know, it all goes back to when I came to Florida. We literally came here when managed care was trying to make their, their name. What ended up happening is nobody in Florida really wanted it. So the opportunities in managed care are great. And I learned really early that it was very difficult with referrals and all the other things that they asked us to do, it was difficult. But I also made a decision to find out what the rules are and to play by them. And that led to a very successful relationship in managed care. You know, as, as years went on, I, got, I developed a relationship with Humana and went, went into an arrangement with them, sort of a full risk contract arrangement. Managing at the end of uh, the company was uh, Metropolitan Health Networks Incorporated. And as a chief medical officer, we actually built that company over a period of 15 years um, to include 60,000 patients, probably um, 18 physician offices wholly owned. What was more impressive was that it um, was purchased by Umana for a huge sum of money because it actually focused on doing managed care, not in a way that used to be, but in the, in the, in the population health way. Was this Medicare and commercial or just Medicare? This is mostly all Medicare. It was a special niche. Our doctors focused on the senior population. So are we going back to the early days of uh, Medicare choice? Well, you know, this, this was um, very difficult until 1998 came along and the legislature changed. And uh, we all took a different focus. But over the years, we learned that, um, you know, if you took care of the patients, unnecessary costs would disappear. And then they were very heavy on quality metrics and they were very heavy on what they call the uh, Medicare risk uh, scoring. We, we took that to heart and we, we actually did. And we learned if doctors cooperated, it was easy to, uh, to actually establish a good, a, good, a good outcome. So what was that like for you, breaking away from the clinical side and stepping into this brave new world, brave new world of managed healthcare? Were you ostracized by your peers? No. I, I, Actually, it bothered me a little bit, and I, I had no choice because we moved, um, you know, we moved our population. We were in Port St. Lucie, and I was practicing, but then we were up in Daytona, and then we. So as we grew, it was became necessary. But we trained doctors that um, understood what we were doing and stayed in place. And I turned out to be a very reasonable uh, mediator between the administrative or the uh, business people versus the uh, doctors. I, I always kept the physician and the patient in mind, which I think, if I look back on that was what I still do, but it was, the, it was our key to success. So you've witnessed this, the evolution of the marketplace from uh, HMOs to PPOs to OWAs and EPOs and all this stuff, and now we're into accountable care organizations and patient-centered medical homes and value-based play. Talk a little bit about the uh, evolution there. What do you see as, uh, uh, as the major upside and maybe some of the obstacles we're sort of trudging over still? Well, you know, the truth really is, is Florida is a little unique because the arrangements that Humana and some of the other insurance plans made here uh, were done very early in the 90s and allowed us to actually take risk and they walked us through the risk. Um, as we began to get data and we began to look at what was important and understand what quality metrics were and accept them is probably the most important thing. Um, the acceptance was not easy, but um, once we did accept them, we, we were understanding what the rules are, and if you, if you understand what the rules are, you can actually deliver the, you know, deliver the, 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 um, 
the goods. So, so when the ACO came along, I, first thing I said is to our company, you know, we got, a, we got 18 offices and we have about 300 affiliated primary care doctors that are all good at doing managed care in the MA world. Why don't we apply and get a license? And unbeknownst to me, the company was in the process of being sold. The answer was no, but I went, actually Kelly Conroy invited me to a meeting in Palm Beach. They were bringing doctors together. I, I, you know, most of my practice, when I practiced all my years, was in Palm Beach. I knew most of the doctors. We got together, and then they asked me to go ahead and write the application to part medical part, and I did. It turned out to be a very nice application. I know that nobody actually knows what's in the application, but the application was written just as I wrote, as I, you know, as as we did in the managed care world, and the execution of it turned out to be um, easier because when I entered and became the chief medical officer of Palm Beach Accountable Care Organization, I entered without any con doubt on what we needed to do. So I knew that there were certain things that we need to do on a proactive basis. That if I surveyed all the offices and knew what every office did. I would end up being ahead of the game and be able to understand what resources we need instead of just going out and buying, uh, buying information technology, worrying about integrating EHRs, or even getting case management. The first thing to do is make sure every office is working in a predictable manner. So what's the secret here to get your colleagues more fully engaged in either value-based health care or accountable care or risk-bearing, risk assumption under contract? What You can't just have a single... Uh, medical directors of the raving fan and everyone else sort of just be out there detached. How do you get them engaged? Well, you know, the focus has to be back on them and the patient. There's too much administrative focus. There's too much high-level concern. A lot of the things that we do seem to be initiated from the highest levels. Now, it's easy to say you have to do 33 quality metrics. It's easy to say that you have to reduce cost. But when it comes down to the actual meeting, you know, the doctor is lost in that visit. You know, 15, 20 minutes of visit, not enough time to add all these things in. So when you look at what they've been used to, which is putting out the minimal effort, as Dr. Mastashari said, putting out the minimal effort and getting paid, and now value-based payments is not minimal effort. It's extra effort, and it's a hard switch. What we have to do is make it easier for them. And that's where some of these clinical analytic tools come in. But the most important thing for doctors is to understand that, you know, the most important thing is that the patients have to be in front of them. And we've let that disappear over the years. You know, we didn't concentrate on getting patients back. If they miss an appointment, we sent them a letter. If they never showed up, we never followed up. You know, if they didn't want to come in, we didn't schedule it. And then, you know, six months later, they wanted to come in, and, and they did. But it was way past time that they should. So being diligent and understanding, matching the disease with frequency of visits and having a, a routine process where they would absolutely know that, you know, every three months the patient comes in and by the way, we're going to find out what happened between and talk to them, begins to build that reliability and trust that if we're going to do accountable care, the first piece is that the patient and the doctor have to have a relationship of trust. I would imagine you were uh, pleased to hear Renee Lehrer's talk today from Florida Blue about reducing the hassle factor and no more mother may I in its relationship with ducks. Is that, is, that, is that a reality? Well, the answer is, you know, it's nice to hear, but it's like 10 years too late. And I think doctors basically are carrying around this, this aversion to, you know, can I, let me go back and tell you that I never had a problem with those health plans because I, when, I, when they did not allow us to do stuff. I found out why. And most of the time it was because I didn't provide the proper information. So, you know, you, you think that we come from a place where we just wrote the order and it got done, 
to a place where we have to write the order, but absolutely give some reasons for it. And, you know, in managed care, we accepted that really early. Today, people are beginning to fold into the same kind of a process where, you know, documentation is important. It never used to be. In fact, when I came into town, we just wrote in the hospital as per the consultant, and that was what we got paid on. As we developed into taking ownership and responsibility and justifying and validating stuff, we began to write a more detailed note, which I think is great. But the, the truth is, how can, you know, I differentiate, I want to be differentiated from the other guy. You know, we come from a, basically a student-driven system, right? Everybody, all the physicians striving for the best grades, trying to um, get to the top of their class. And money was never the issue. And all of a sudden, it shuts off when we graduate. And the next thing you know, we're going to uh, focus on just dollars. And I think that, it, you know, the student, every physician has the student in them. And if it's awakened and they know the rules and they understand what's going on, they can get some gratitude and get some actual joy out of actually playing by the rules and succeeding. The point is, is that in the past, we never knew because there was no way to know. Now we're beginning to see that we do have a way of, of getting the information to us. You know, every physician has the opportunity now to see how they're doing. That QRUR report that they've just released, right, is enlightening. I've seen a bunch of them. The Quality Resource and Utilization Report, that's what CMS is using for the payments that are going to come out in 2018. I've seen a whole bunch of them. It looks like every single doctor looks like they're average. So you just, you know, you tell me. If they were average in undergraduate school, and if they were average in medical school, would they, would they, they wouldn't have been doctors. So physicians, when they start looking and seeing, it's not me giving them a report, although I've done that for years. Now it's the CMS is looking at their data and saying, here's how you, sh you know, everybody seems to be average. The question is why, and the, and the answer is they didn't understand what the rules were, so they couldn't excel in proving that they do stuff, you know. There's a lot of reasons why, but as we get better at it, it's gonna start differentiating physicians, and I don't know about you, I want my mother in the safest physician office that's possible. Absolutely. So let me get your thoughts about ACOs. Uh, again, Renee Lara talked about uh, ACOs, value-based plays, and, and emerging risk-bearing entities as not the answer per se, but sort of way stations on the way to something. What is that something? Well, I think it's, you know, I've heard this before from lots of different, uh, lots of different uh, executives in the healthcare field. And I know that from the way you matter work, that everything has to be moving towards risk. It's just normal to say that if you get paid for mediocre work, that you're not going to get, you're not going to do more for, for, for the best work. I mean, if you're only getting paid one, one, one value. But the other thing is, is that you know the answer is, if you're moving towards risk, the minimal amount that you need to do is not enough to manage risk. And managing risk has always been, I'm taking accountability to it. So look, doctors were in the hospital, they could assume risk in the hospital, they don't go anymore. A big barrier to their risk. Patients used to come into the office and treat the doctors like they were, you know, PhDs and maybe close to the Lord. They don't do that anymore. Now they come in with, you know, pages of internet, you know, stuff that questions everything we do. But the truth is, that's, that's just the nature of, I mean, in fact, for me, that's better because the, the ability to communicate and the ability to let patients understand is huge. And I've learned that my doctors don't have to do this if they have a staff that understands what their job is. That's the part of the medical home that came out a few years ago that was um, very helpful in, in getting the team together. You know, physicians need to let the MA do what the MA can do. And before we just allowed MAs to be very low level employees, but they know the patients, they have relationships with the patients, they have time to chat with them in between. They can 
They can do a myriad of things, and then they can provide us with information that we need to do the visit that we don't have to waste time in. The, in. So there's lots of stuff that is going on. What it is is if I manage risk, meaning I have to know what I need to manage risk, I know what you need to manage risk. The doctors are not so you know keen on what it is to manage risk, but if I know what it is to manage risk, then I have to make those expectations known, which is part of what the ACO has to do, has to let everybody know what they expect, whether it's the patients, they have to know themselves, they have to know, the hospital has to know what we expect. The nursing homes have to know what we expect, the home health companies have to know. The expectation is real simple at this point. Let me know when my patients get there, let me send you my information, because we're not completely integrated. When the patient is leaving, make an appointment back in my office so they come back, and I don't want to chase them. And when everybody cooperates that way, I always say, if we did cooperate and start with that, if I can get the patients back in the doctor's office, then the burden goes back onto the doctor and he can be accountable. Because he can never be accountable if the hospitals don't send the patients back and the nursing homes don't let them know they're there and the home health companies are seeing patients and five weeks later we, we, we get a letter to sign. Accountability requires us to be able to get the patients back. And that's the piece, the message that has to happen right now. So are, are ACOs the fertile environment wherein to A, align the payment, B, redesign the workflow, and C, support it with infrastructure, both people and technology, and shall we say culture? Are they, is this the incubator to f- uh, fulfill the, the triple aim? Absolutely. I mean, you think about it, it's like, you know, doctors, they, t- they say they're like cats because they won't go in the same direction. So by putting an ACO together, you, you put together, you invite everybody in, they all can be part of it, theoretically. They're all supposed to be part of some sort of committee, have a say. They're supposed to basically, they're not supposed to know what to do, but they're supposed to be part of understanding. Meaningful participation is one of the requirements when you sign up for the ACO. It means it, it's simple. Most people don't even know they signed it, but it's effort and time. And that's the piece that you know, doctors have to understand that this is going to take effort, it is going to take time, but if you go along with this and allow the entity that knows what to do to measure you and to move you towards the appropriate, um, you know, process, which is all processes in place, some doctors have it real quick, some doctors have it a little slower, but nobody should be left behind here. And the philosophy really is, is they won't if they all have a commitment. If they follow this, there's no downside right now. So we're you know, we're not being deducted, we're just being measured. And in fact, even if you're not in an ACO, you're being measured right now. So it's almost like the test is going on and they're measuring us. They're going to give us a grade. If you're in an ACO, you get exempt from that grade. If you're not in an ACO, you're being graded. And the answer is you don't even know what the material is you're being graded on. And then someone's going to show it to you. And that's why that QRUR is real important. Because when you look at it, it tells to you you're just average, you're a C. And, and, and you know, it works when physicians say to me, I don't want to be a C. It's like, well, how do you, okay, for two years I've been trying to get them to be an A. Now they don't want to be a C, so now I can go in and say, okay, here's the deal. You get your answering machine and stop it from sending everyone to the ER. It's simple. That's a proactive response. Everybody has to do it, right? You're not open on Friday. What, do you, what is going on in there, okay? I'm not saying you have to work, but when patients are calling up, what are you doing? If you're sending everyone to the emergency room, that's a, that's a problem, right? Do you know how many people go to the emergency room and why they go? The answer is they don't know. Why would they go? So let's call a few and find out what happened. You might find out that, that they don't call you because you don't answer your phone. Or maybe they do call you and your office tells them to go. But the answer is there's a root cause analysis to these things. And some things, and I always look at this first, I will not bring a solution. I won't even bring a problem to a doctor if the solution is not in their domain. 
So as an ACO administrator, my job is to now get it in their domain. That's why I say we got to put the patients in the office. Because if the patient comes to the office, I can tell the doctor that's your domain. But if they do not come in, then it's not. And the best way to do that is to do what everybody is to show caring, concern, build trust. I mean, I'll use this example. It's phenomenal. Medicare, we did a few things that really made money. One of them was we asked the physicians during the week when they're seeing sick patients to pay attention to who they're treating and who might not get better. Who are the people you're going to say, if you don't get better, come, come back in a week? So normally in Medicare, we would say come back in a week and they'd be in a the hospital. They might, they might come back. They might even come back and they're better. But the reason why I'm saying pay attention to those is that we know 30% of people don't buy the medicine. Well, if they're going to get sicker, wouldn't we be we'd be much more likely to check on them. So if I knew they bought the medicine, wouldn't that be something you would want you know, us to do for your mom? Give her a bunch of medicines, but if she didn't buy it, make sure she took it. And then three days later, a subsequent call to make sure they're better. So that within a four-day period, we know they're taking the medicine, it's documented, and we have a status on their better. That's what a doctor can do in his office. Now, if they go to an ER, it's because we sent them. If they're not better, we can see them again. But the point is, there's little things that we can do I can't stop the patient who runs to the ER every night because they feel like it. That's not what I'm talking I'm talking about in our offices, we're doing stuff. We know who's at high risk for being admitted and who's not. And all we have to do is pay attention to them. There you go. There's some things to do and there's work to be done. Final question. From where you sit, from what you do and what you're seeing, are you hopeful or bearish on the future of medicine? So uh, I, I'm mixed and I've been working with the ACOs for a while. but. So here's the problem, you know, you got, we got some competition going on. You know, we have CVS and Walgreens rebranding themselves as, as the center of healthcare, and they certainly would be able to take over a lot that we do. So imagine if all of the low level, you know, ear lavages and eye exams are all being done now in the um, Walgreens and CVS without an appointment, people walk in, we'll lose that business. I mean, um, I'm, I'm concerned that physicians, you know, it looks like in ACOs, that the population of physicians in the ACOs are a little bit older, over 40, 45, 50. They're not ready to retire, but they're older. They have the most wisdom, and they're the best. Li they're most likely to be able to do this, but they're they have some burnout factors. But th the appropriate thing is, I think the message is getting out, and the government is getting it that there is a payment system change, and that they everybody keeps saying CMS wants us to succeed as a physician the way physicians exist today. Nobody wants to have CVS make a relationship with IBM and have their big computer system do it better than us. But the truth is, if we don't develop relationships and patients don't demand that they want to see a doctor, you know, that younger generation might just rather just look on their phone and get all the information than actually see a doctor. So I think that we have a chance to do this. It's not like we're really not making too little money. It's a little bit more work. But the truth is, is this is the nature of the business. And we didn't have physician extenders, we didn't have nurse practitioners, we have them all now. We gotta grow up, and we gotta become serious about change, and we can do it. There's nobody, that, I, I don't see the younger doctors being able to do this. I think the, we have to set the stage. They might fit in, they might not, I don't know. But I know that the physicians that I'm dealing with, very capable, they have the experience, you know, and they have the capabilities and the confidence to do it. They just keep thinking they're not getting paid for it. And that's the piece I think we'll close with, is that once they realize they are going to get paid. So one doctor said to me, I used to work just to get paid. And now he says, I just do whatever the work requires, take care of my patients, whatever they require, and I do get paid. And that, that little flip of 
you know, looking how many patients I see, and if they don't pay me for breast exams, I'm not going to do it, switches to everybody needs a breast exam, I don't care if they pay me, I'm just going to do it, and it's going to, you know, end up being right. I think that's the piece that, um, if we achieve that, we got it, we got it made. Does that help? Excellent. Well said. And I'll just summarize it by saying to your physician colleagues, there's work to be done. Let's get it done. That's right. We can do it. Nobody else that can.